0: Well, good morning, Doxa. It's great to see you guys today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, man, we'd love to give you one. We say it every week that this is just kind of what we do. We, we go through the Bible, we open it up, we teach, and just ask God to, to share something with us and empower us by his Spirit to, to go and, and live like him. But after eight months um, of, of studying Luke's gospel, today we're, we're wrapping up this, this historical text, all right? I don't know, has it felt that long? Maybe, yeah, okay. But, you know, this is good, you know, and, and really, as I was thinking about our, our journey through the book of, of Luke, the gospel of Luke, I, I began to think about my journey as, as a Christian, okay? Many of you, you know, bits and pieces of, of my story, but I was, I was 23 years old when God opened my eyes to Jesus, and I, and I understood the gospel, and, and he saved me. And, and at that point, I, I really had no idea uh, what my life was now supposed to look like as, as a Christian, as, as a man of God. All right? I, I really didn't have anybody model that for me. I, I really didn't know any Christians my age. I actually, I knew two. Right? One guy was, he was pretty hip, pretty cool. He loved God. And then the other guy I knew was... Just kind of odd, okay. I mean, did most of his shopping for clothes at the Christian bookstore. Just kind of that. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But uh, maybe there is. Okay, that's not nice. I'm uh, I'm already off. Okay, but guys, (laughs) here's the point. It was kind of a crapshoot of how I was going to turn out with what I knew of Christianity. Okay, but but fortunately, God gave me a a really strong man of God, um, who not only shared the gospel with me, but he also opened up his life and, and shared his his life with me, and he began to disciple me. His name was Andy. He was a student of the Bible, just a really godly man. He was a leader in a church that that not only taught the Bible from the stage, but it taught the people that were sitting there gathered as the church to love the Bible and to read the Bible. And so from from day one of of being a Christian, reading the Bible was just something that immediately became part of my my new life rhythm as I began to walk with God. And, And here's what I did, all right? For the first month of being a Christian... I remember having the, the Bible that my grandparents had given me, like, as a high school graduation present. I was like, this is like the lamest gift anybody has ever given me for a high school graduation. It was actually the best gift. And what I did is I grabbed that Bible, and I remember for the first month, just went cover to cover. I opened it up and started in Genesis, and every single day, every spare moment of my day, I just read the Bible And I remember the day that I finished, okay, I was sitting in a little coffee shop in Bowling Green, Ohio, where Bowling Green State University is, named Grounds for Thought, and I was just sitting there and I read the last few verses of Revelation. And I had this check sheet, I was going to bring it, but I forgot, but it was a check sheet, I just listed off all the books and I would just put a check mark. And I got done with Revelation and I put a check mark and I kind of sat back, took a bite of my scone and was just like, what the heck did I just read? Like, I, you know, I mean, I just had literally, I was just like, I have so many questions. Like, what do I even do? It didn't make sense to me. But Andy, as he discipled me, he explained to me the difference between reading for, for mileage and reading for message. You know, that when we read for mileage, it's like you read a, a, news, well, a newspaper, you read a story on, on, a, on your app, right? Or, you know, you, you read a magazine or something like that and you just read. You don't stop and do word studies, but you just read to get the overall big picture of what's happening. But then reading from mileage is, is really when you open up a commentary, you do word studies, you, you dig in and you're thinking, what does this actually mean? You begin to study. And he explained this to me. And so I began to study one book at a time. And Andy literally just told me, he was just like, if you just do that until you die, you're going to be just fine. And honestly, guys, this is the best advice that I have ever get, been given. And, and this has been the ongoing rhythm of my life, and it's going to be the ongoing rhythm, rhythm of my life until I see Jesus in glory one day, just studying one book of the Bible. And, and even more, guys, this is what we do here at DOXA, that it's our propensity just to study through books of the Bible. And so far in the life of our church, this is what we've been doing. So we've, we've studied 1 Timothy last summer as we were preparing to launch. We just finished the Gospel of Luke. This summer, starting next week, we're going to jump into the book of Romans We're not going to study the whole book of Romans, but we're going to look at chapters five through eight, which is really the heart of the gospel, and really kind of looking at what gospel doctrine would mean for us in our city, in our our lives. And then we're going to do some topical series to round off the summer, but jumping in to the fall in September, we're going to go through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, and just look at what is the sequel, all right? Luke had the two-part writing, the gospel of Luke, And then the Acts of the Apostle. And we're going to look at the early church and and see what that means for our young church as we seek to live for the glory of God and the good of this city. But as we read and study books of the Bible, guys, we ask questions. We talk about this every week, right? You have to ask questions. You shouldn't just sit there and, and hear me say and be like, okay, that's the truth. You need to search out the scriptures for yourself and to study and say, is, is what he's hearing true? Now, I'm not gonna stand up here and say, I'm gonna try and trick you. I'm gonna say what I think is true, but you need to be searching the Bible for yourself and we ask questions. And so I wanna give you five specific questions that we should be asking as we read the Bible, not even just on Sundays, but for you. This is gonna be exceedingly helpful for you as you read the Bible. And the five questions I wanna encourage you guys to write them up. They're going to be on the screens behind me. But five questions that we ask as, as we read through the Bible. Number one, what does the scripture say? All right. And to answer this, guys, as we're reading, we, we, we just check different translations. We do, we do some word studies and we find out exactly what is being said to us in this passage that we're reading. But we don't just stop there. We ask the second question. We say, what does the scripture mean? And here, what we do is we, we seek to interpret what is being said, and that requires us to, to do some study. It requires us to use commentaries and to look at other theologians and pastors and what they have researched and studied and found to be true. We do cultural background studies, all these different things. And I'll, and I'll even say this, guys, you need to have a study Bible. All right, you know those big Bibles that people sometimes walk in that are like this thick, right, and they're just like the little kids? Or You, you need one of those. Okay, And the reason is, is because it is so hard to interpret it and understand it yourself. But a good study Bible will help give you insight into what this actually means that you're reading. And so if you're looking for one, go on Amazon. The ESV study Bible is one of the best ones out there. Get that. Not super expensive. And even if it's too expensive, come find me. I'll find a way to get one for you. It's that significant. So we ask, what does the scripture say? What does the scripture mean? Number three, we ask the question, why do I resist this truth? And here, basically, what we're assuming is that because we are all broken and sinful people, that we're not going to simply just embrace God's truth, but we're going to fight it. We're going to fight it with our thoughts and our lives and our actions because we're sinful people. We're broken and we'll do what Romans 1.18 says, that we're just going to suppress the truth because of the sin that's in our lives. Guys, we, you need to know that. Like, We come here all the time and we gather. There's one perfect person that we gather around. His name is Jesus. The rest of us, really broken, really messed up. We have some issues, but we have a perfect Savior. And so we ask this question, why am I resisting this truth in my life? And what we do is we read is we simply just repent. And that literally means to change the way that we think. And so we ask God for his help as we read the Bible. And we say, God, change the way that I'm thinking. And help me to understand this. And not just understand it for the sake of information, but for transformation. That I can actually live this out and be more like Jesus. And we move on to the fourth question. We ask, why does this even matter? And this is a big one, right? Because Christianity can be seen as maybe like archaic and just it doesn't even matter. And it's whatever. Here's the thing that we know. All right, that all of Scripture... It's profitable. Everything that you read in the Bible, it's profitable to train us, to teach us, to convict us, to change us, ultimately to transform us. And so we ask, how does this relate to the world that I live in? How does this relate to the way that I treat my wife? How does this relate to me as a father? How does this relate to me as a friend? How does this relate to me as a citizen in this city? What does this mean for me? the great theologian Karl Barth, he he said uh, famously, he said that every Christian should have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Because we need to understand what does it mean to live in this world and what does the Bible say about the world that we live in? And then finally, we ask the fifth question, and this is a big one, is how is Jesus the hero? Because he is. He's absolutely the hero. The Bible is one story with one hero, and it's Jesus. That the Bible is not primarily about you But it's for you, to point you to Jesus, and it's all about him. And we're going to see this today in Luke 24, okay? So if you're there, we're going to jump into this. You guys ready to finish this up? You excited? Okay, wow. That was underwhelming. Guys, we should be, right? We we should be really excited. I mean, we've been in this. You're like, okay, we're going on to something else after eight months. That's great. But here, we should be hearing all these words and and the things that Luke has been teaching us and asking, man, how is this great biography of Jesus going to end? Like, what does this have for all of us? Because here's what we've learned so far. All right, Luke has been revealing to us since chapter one, all the way to chapter 24, he showed us the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. In Luke chapter two, which a long time ago, right? Jesus comes on the scene. God became a man. He's born onto the scene. And the angels, they announce it to the the shepherds in the fields. And do you remember what the angel said? Here is Jesus And he's good news, which will bring great joy for all people. And this has been Luke's thing that he has just been hammering. Jesus is good news for all people. And he showed us his life, starting at his birth. And then in Luke 2.52, we see that it says that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, that he was actually a man, like a historical man. He walked, he breathed, he ate, he lived amongst people. You can't debate this from historical records. Right, that he was here, but he wasn't just a man. But he presented himself to be the God-man. And by looking at his ministry, guys, he demonstrates his divinity. All right, that, that we hear that thing that Jesus actually never said he was God. He actually did. And the way that he, he would say it, but then he would also show it. So he would declare himself to be God, and then he would show himself to be God by the miracles that he had performed. And what we do, guys, is we have been watching and listening to the words and the works and the ways of Jesus throughout this gospel account, we as Christians, we just seek to follow his example. And we don't do a great job at this. Every single one of us that claim to be Christians, we're hypocrites. We're still affected by sin. The world can look in and say, man, you're hypocritical. You don't do that. Well, it's because we're sinful and broken, but we have a Savior. And he helps us by his presence and his power through his spirit to live this stuff out. And this is what we seek to do. And the only way that that's possible is because he died. We celebrated this on Good Friday, right before Easter, that Jesus was a man that died, but he wasn't just an innocent man that died. There's been a ton of innocent men that have been killed. He was the God-man, and he died, and in his death, he died for us. He died for your sin and for your salvation, and with his resurrection, he proved and he demonstrated that everything that he declared, everything he said is emphatically true, and this resurrection idea is a huge thing. And we've been studying this for the last couple of weeks since Easter, and we've been looking at the aftermath of this great moment in history for the last several weeks as we've been studying chapter four, and we're gonna wrap it up today. But in chapter 24, here's what I want you to know, all right? Chapter 24 is, is all happening on, on that first Easter day, all right, on resurrection day. It's all happening. That's chapter 24. And there's three snapshots that were given throughout this, this chapter. And if you look back at, at Luke 24, In verses 1 through 12, which we talked about on Easter, Luke highlighted the empty tomb, the fact that Jesus was not there. In verses 13 through 35, which Ronnie preached last week, Luke shows us how Jesus appears to his disciples to a couple on the road to Emmaus. And he teaches them how significant the scriptures were, that it's all about him, that it was really just prophesied that Jesus would come, he would live, he would die, and he would resurrect. And then today, as we close this out in verses 36 through 53... Luke is gonna give us basically Jesus's post-resurrection commission to us and to his disciples to take the gospel, which is good news for all people, to take it to all the people of the world. And here's what I want you to know, all right? Luke ends this gospel account with focusing on gospel and mission. Write those two words in the column of your Bible next to chapter 24, gospel and mission. And as we've looked at these three snapshots, we're seeing gospel and mission happen. There's a a four-part flow that happens throughout all of this, all right? In each one of these snapshots, it starts with confusion, it moves to rebuke, then to instruction, and then witness. This is the four-part flow that we see all the way through chapter 24, confusion, rebuke, instruction, and witness. So I'm going to show you what I'm talking about, okay? Luke 24, we're going to start in verse 31, and here's what we see. And their eyes were opened. Okay, this is the couple that's walking on the road to Emmaus. Ronnie talked about this last week. Jesus shows up after his death, he resurrects, he comes, he presents himself to them, and they says that they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, verse 32. They said to each other, "Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures?" And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, to Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So after the crucifixion, Jesus is, is killed, he's, he's buried, he resurrects. The disciples are in a room, all right, and they're they're hiding out. There's fear there, they're afraid of what's gonna happen to them. They don't wanna be killed like him. There's confusion, they're like thinking, okay. Here's this guy that we've given our life to, we've we've followed. Now he's dead. Like, what do we do now? They're confused. But at the same time, we're seeing that there's some excitement, right? That there's there's exciting things. They're hearing reports that that Jesus is alive, that he has risen from the dead. And Peter is saying, guys, I saw it with my own eyes. These, These women that we thought were crazy, they came and said that the tomb is empty. So I just ran. And Peter ran to the tomb. He ducked down and kind of was looking in, and he didn't see him. He's like, he's not there. And Peter is saying, this is true, this is what's happening, and the excitement in the room is is rising. And then this couple that was on the Emmaus Road, they come in and they just jump right into this conversation, and they say, guys, it is emphatically true that Jesus was just walking with us, he was just teaching us, he's alive. And so there's this anticipation going, and we get to verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you but they were startled and frightened. And I want you to underline this next part, circle it in your Bible. And they thought they saw a spirit. So as they're talking, Jesus just shows up, all right? Now we have to pause, right? Because can you imagine that? I mean, sometimes we just read the Bible and we are like, oh yeah, they were gathered together and then Jesus showed up, right? I mean, but really like put yourself in this situation, all right? I really want you to imagine that. Imagine that you're like, You just got done with a funeral of your friend or a family member, and you're just hanging out, you're eating, you're crying, you're reminiscing on the good old days, and then that person just kinda walks into the room and is like, hey guys, anybody got a sandwich? Like, I'm starving, right? I mean, what would you do, right? This is what happened with Jesus. It would be crazy. Because people, dead people, don't rise and come back to life, right? Wrong. One does. Only Jesus. And this is what makes him unique. Amen. We don't really do that here, do we? Right. We can work on that. Okay. We can say amen back. Okay. But guys, this is what this is what he did. He he rises from the dead. He shows up. He tells his friends, "Hey," and his followers. They they and just like we would probably, if we were sitting there, they get really really wigged out, right? And they're just like, I don't know what is going on here. And this is where we see the disciples' confusion. All right, they're just confused. And remember the flow: confusion, rebuke, instruction witness. They thought they were seeing a ghost. Now, in their confusion comes a rebuke from Jesus. And we see this rebuke paralleled in all these three snapshots in this chapter. But this rebuke takes the form of really just a disappointed question. And then really, it turns into an invitation to check it out for themselves. Look at verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? There's the rebuke, the disappointing question. See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Guys, Jesus is just simply saying, I'm alive. And for those of you who maybe you're not Christian and you're here and you're kind of trying to figure out, let me just say, I'm glad that you're here. It's, it's literally one of my highest honors to teach you the Bible. But this is probably where you are like, I lost you, right? You're like, okay, I can get down with like the fact that Jesus was a guy and he lived, but this is just crazy. It's weird. And honestly, I'll be the first one to say, yeah, it is kind of crazy and it's weird. And as we as Christians, we just kind of say, yeah, it, guys, it's, it's crazy. But this is why we're so excited, right? Because this has never happened before and it will never happen again. And this is what, part of what makes Jesus unlike anyone and everyone who has ever lived in the history of the world. And in the same way that the women are rebuked by the angels at the tomb in verse 5, if you look back to that. And then the Emmaus couple was rebuked in verse 25. The disciples here, they received the same rebuke for their disbelief. And Jesus asks, why do you doubt? Why are you troubled? And I imagine Jesus just thinking, right, that these are his friends. So he's not like mad and hating them, but he's like, man, I told you this would happen. Like, didn't you, didn't you listen to my teaching? Like, I, I literally told you that I was going to be killed and then three days later, I was gonna come back. I, I told you, so why, why are you surprised? Now look at verse 40. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And I want you to underline this next part. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, underline that. Jesus said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Now guys, after this moment, there was no doubt that this was not a ghost, but it was the man, Jesus. As the disciples hugged him, they, they felt the flesh over bone, right? Some were even had the audacity to, to reach out and to touch the wounds that were on his hands and his feet. And then they all watched him eat lunch, right? And you can't blame them, right? I mean, sleepless night in the garden and he was killed, starving. He's on a long walk on the road to Emmaus, and he's hungry, right? And so they're like, this ghost is hungry. We just touched him. And then they, they hear him chewing the fish. They're like hearing him swallow. And they're like, this, this is amazing. This changes everything. And their confusion, they have this confusion. You see the rebuke, and the disciples' excitement and disbelief, as the pastor theologian Kent Hughes puts it. He says it goes from negative disbelief It's a positive disbelief. And look again at verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, they had this excited, positive disbelief. And here's how you should understand this, all right? Just picture like just a a bad football team, All right? I'm from Cleveland, the Browns, okay? It's a hard to be a Browns fan, okay? But just, it's, it's, like a, it's like a football team that's like losing and they're always losing and then it comes down to like the last couple seconds of a, of a game and they're losing and everybody's like packing up and like this is terrible, why did I buy, buy tickets, right? And then all of a sudden they, they intercept the pass and then they run like 200 yards to score a touchdown, right? It doesn't even make sense. And the people are like, they won, what just happened? Like I cannot believe that this is happening. We actually, like I don't believe it. What it just happened, We're, we won this game. This is what's happening. These disciples, they're sitting there and they're like, I don't believe what I'm seeing. Jesus is alive. He's eating my piece of fish. This is weird. I don't believe it. This is crazy. They can't believe what is happening. Guys, I want you to know this. After this moment, the disciples never doubted again. They knew that Jesus was alive. So much so, guys, that Every single one of the disciples, the apostles, except for one, were killed for their belief in the risen Jesus. That they kept preaching that Jesus was alive, even in the face of death and being killed. They saw him, never doubted again. And here's what we can learn from this isolated account, which is good news for every single one of us, all right? Two things, I want you to write this down. Number one, sin is not victorious, Jesus is. All right, that Jesus, as he died, He took upon your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. And when he rose, guys, he rose back to life and he literally defeated the sin that separates us all from God. He literally defeats death and sin. And this is good news, guys, because it is for you. It's for me. This is the gospel that through faith, guys, sin no longer controls us. It no longer determines our future. Jesus does because he's victorious over it. So sin is not victorious, Jesus is. And number two, death is not victorious, Jesus is. The death no longer has the last word because with Jesus, death actually precedes life. And for those who trust in Christ, we have eternal life in glory to look forward to. And Jesus' resurrection proves this and puts a stamp on it. For those of you who are Christians, This wells up in great joy because you realize that you don't have to fear death anymore. And even more than just physical death, you don't have to fear eternal death, which is just the eternal separation from God and the terrible conscious reality of hell. You don't have to fear that anymore. There's some people that you wake up in the middle of the night, you can't go to sleep, you think about eternity. Because God has put that in your heart, and you wonder what's going to happen for us following Jesus. We don't have to worry about that anymore. We don't have to ask the question. We know that death has been defeated. Jesus has won, and we have victory if we have faith. So we see their confusion. We hear Jesus rebuke them, but then he gives them instruction. All right, look at verse 44. This is key. As he's instructing them, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, and circle this whole next part, in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So as Jesus is instructing them, we need to note that when we look at the parallel accounts, these other three snapshots in Luke chapter 24, they all go from confusion to rebuke to instruction. And when they get to this instruction piece, it always goes back to the scriptures. It always goes back to the Bible. All right, if you look back into earlier on in chapter 24, the women in verses six and seven, they're, they're instructed by the angels to say what? They say, remember what Jesus said. They're confused, they're like, he's not here. And the angel says, why are, you, why are you confused? Remember what Jesus says. And they take them to Jesus's words in six through eight, how he prophesied that he would be killed and then raised from the dead. If you look at the couple on the road to Emmaus, Right after that, he rebuked them, and then he instructs them in verse 27 that the whole Old Testament was about him and his death and his resurrection. Again, Ronnie taught on this last week. Go back and listen to that message. And then here in our passage this morning, this third event of the resurrection, he instructs his disciples, and once again, he goes back to the Bible. And as Jesus describes his passion, which means his his death and his suffering... And then he describes his resurrection. He says that this is what the Bible is all about. And so essentially, guys, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I want you to understand me, I want you to understand my life, my death, my resurrection, but I want you to understand it through the lens of Scripture. I don't want you just to experience it. He's like, you need to understand it through Scripture. And this week, I I read some of uh, Leon Morris, who's a New Testament scholar, and he, he pointed out The way that Jesus mentions the three divisions of Scripture here as the, the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms actually indicates that there is no part of the Bible that is not about Jesus because the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms, they make up the entire Old Testament Scriptures, which is what these people would have. It's because here's what this means for us, okay? This book is a book that God wrote. You need to know that. And it's all about Jesus. And you can't make sense of anything in this book unless you connect it all to Jesus. He's the point. And anytime that this book is, is taught and Jesus is not the focus, it's, very, it's taught in a very poor way because it's all about him. And this has been the heart cry of God since the very beginning, that every page of every chapter of every book of the Bible is ultimately about Jesus. And this is why you can't preach the Bible without preaching Christ. I mean, you could preach it, but it wouldn't be a Christian sermon or Christian church, right? It's all about Jesus. And Jesus says, the big idea of the Bible is that everything points to me, every single page. It's all about him. He's the hero and he's the savior. And so guys, Jesus is saying that for thousands of years, he has sent witnesses and authors and a succession of people to proclaim the promise of the coming of Jesus. And he is the answer to the human predicament of sin, sorrow, suffering, satisfaction, and security. It's about him. That the primary purpose of the whole Old Testament, guys, is so that people would be prepared to hear and see Jesus. And if we rewind back to chapter 1 of Luke's gospel, do you remember how he started? In verse 4, he kind of gives like his purpose statement. He says, I'm writing you so that you can have certainty in all that you have heard. He's pointing back to all these teachings that you've heard. It's, you can know for certain that Jesus has fulfilled it all. And he's like, I want you to know that this is historically and theologically accurate. It changes everything. And so, guys, we need to know that the gospel is weaved throughout all of human history. It's weaved throughout the entire Old Testament. And it's not something new. But from the beginning, this has been God's plan. Now look back to verse thirty-six and, or 46 and 47. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer. I want you to circle the word suffer. And on the third day, rise. Circle that word too. Rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Circle proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And so Jesus, as he's instructing the, his disciples from the Old Testament, he summarizes all the Old Testament scriptures. By using three words, three verbs, suffer, rise, and proclaim. And all of these words are taught throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus is doing that here in chapter, four, or chapter 24. He, he's teaching these, these men and women that, that the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, all of scripture point to Jesus, this gospel news that's good news for all people. I want to I quickly demonstrate this. I can't spend too much time on this. We could spend like an entire teaching series going through this. We can maybe we'll do the next eight months on that, okay? But here's here's what we do. All right, when we look at what theologians call the, the meta-narrative of scripture, which is just a smart way to say the big story of the Bible, all right, here is what we see. Genesis chapter one starts off in verse one that says, In the beginning, God created. Okay? Now you fast forward to John chapter one, the Gospel of John. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And skip down to verse 14. And the Word came, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was there at the very beginning. He was involved in creation. It started with Jesus. Then you go on to Genesis chapter 3. Where sin comes into the world. And sin is just what we all are impacted and infected by. It's anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. Sin came into the world through disobedience and messed up the plan. But Jesus, once again, is there. If you write down Genesis 3:15, we call this the proto right? The first gospel. Because in the midst of this sin, Jesus is still there. That it says there's going to come a savior that's going to crush sin and crush Satan and crush death. And he will deliver people from the bondage of sin. Once again, Jesus is there. And then if you go through all the law and the prophets and the Psalms, they're all looking forward to Jesus. It's all about him. You look at the law, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Like you look at all of this and you look at these these seasons and these celebrations of like the day of Passover and, and Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. These celebrations, they all point to Jesus that Jesus has fulfilled. He's become our Passover lamb, that he has become our atonement. It's all connecting to Jesus through the law. You look at the prophets. You look at Isaiah 53 talking about the suffering servant that this Messiah, the savior of the world is going to come. And he's going to be crucified. And he's going, to, he's going to die for the sins of people. It's Jesus. You're seeing this through the prophets. And even into the Psalms, you look at Psalm 22, which gives us a detailed description of crucifixion, 750, 1,000 years before crucifixion was even invented by the Persians, hundreds of years before the Romans even practiced it. And it gives this detailed account how Jesus would suffer by, crucif- or by crucifixion. The law, the prophets, the Psalms, they all point to Jesus. And even now in Luke's gospel that we've been journeying through, Luke shows us how Jesus fulfilled all of that. And you can have certainty that this is true. And as he's sharing this, guys, you can imagine the disciples like, holy cow, this is big. They're having like a fresh new revelation, a fresh new perspective of what Jesus is all about. And just like the couple on the road to Emmaus in verse 42, the way they articulated it, they said that that truth began to burn within them. Right? It was something inside them that just stirred them and it changed them. It changed their outlook on God. It changed their outlook on Jesus themselves and the people of the world. And Jesus is giving us, guys, the overarching purpose of God and the message of the Bible in its gospel and mission. The entire Bible is about the gospel, that God loves you, Someone in here this morning needs to be reminded of that. That God loves you, and he wants you to find forgiveness in life, in a heavenly future, but the only way for you to do this is to come to Jesus. It's not about you pursuing moralistic behaviorism and changing and being a good person and all that stuff, but it's about you just surrendering yourself and saying, I cannot do it, and let Jesus save you and make you new. This is the gospel, guys. But it's not just the gospel. It's the gospel and mission. Look back to verse 47, all right? Jesus says that because the gospel is true and we've throughout human history and we've throughout the Old Testament, and this is God's plan, because it's good news for all people, look what he says. It should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, to all people. And here's what you need to know. And this is our big idea that Luke ends with. I want you to write this down. Gospel people become mission people. This is the natural flow, that the disciples are understanding the gospel in a real full way as Jesus is instructing them. And they become gospel-saturated people, the people of God, the redeemed, regenerated family of God, the people who love and follow Jesus with everything they are and everything that they have. And I want you to notice something. It doesn't just stop there. Many people today who love Jesus, it stops there. And we just come here and we sing songs and we raise our hands and then we leave here and it doesn't affect any part of our life. It doesn't stop here because the gospel affects people. Gospel people become mission people. And this is the rhythm from the very beginning all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. If you remember the story of Abraham. Abraham was a Canaanite. Not someone who was looking for God, an enemy of God's people, but God broke into Abraham's life. In In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, And he says, Abraham, I am God, and I want to bless you and be your God. But I don't want to just bless you for the sake of you. But I want you to be a blessing to all the nations. It's 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 the rhythm. Gospel people become mission people, and we see this with the disciples, right? They have this confusion. They hear the rebuke and the instruction, and the response is mission. And the Bible uses the word witness. Right? You've you probably maybe you've heard that, right? good old school Southern Baptist Church We're witnesses of Christ, right? I don't know why I always use a Southern accent, but right, it's witness, it's just mission. It's the natural flow. And again, if we look at the snapshots in, in Luke 24, we see the women. What happens in verse 10? They come, they get rebuked, and they're like, where's Jesus? He's not in the tomb. And then what do they do? They run back and tell people. They're like, you're not gonna believe this, but he's gone. And they're proclaiming, that Jesus is alive. The Emmaus couple, the same thing. They, they're walking on the road. In verse 35, right? they're walking on the road with Jesus. He's alive, and what do they do? They go, and they find the other disciples, and they tell them that Jesus is alive. And now here, with these disciples, look at verse 48. Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. You've seen all of this. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. This is the Holy Spirit of God. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. Guys, the, the Bible is written by those who are eyewitnesses to the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is telling them, this message has to get out. It has to be proclaimed. This good news, this gospel news, that there's a God and he loves you. And he lived his life for you. He lived a life that you couldn't live and he died a death that you should have died because of your sin, but he didn't stay dead, that he's alive now and he conquered sin, death and hell and he's alive and well and reigning as king and he wants to save you and deliver you. He's saying his name is Jesus and get that message out. Go and proclaim this. Now, let me say this, guys. The good news of the gospel is not something that can be shown. It must be said. And here's why this is significant, okay? There was a a saint many years ago, right? His name was Francis of Assisi. And there's a saying that may or may not be his. It was attributed to him. You've probably heard this if you've been a Christian for a decent amount of time. But he said, supposedly, preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. Maybe you've heard that, right? I remember hearing that and being like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's not true. It's just false. We need to preach the gospel. Because with the gospel, when it's preached, that's the only way that people will come to know Jesus. We need to tell Jesus about sin and we need to tell people about a savior And I want to clarify this, okay, because I'm not saying that good words and good deeds should be kind of like divorced and there needs to be a chasm, all right? But I'm saying that good deeds without good words, they don't necessarily lead to salvation. And if we want people to experience Jesus and his salvation, we don't just need to hold doors open for them. We need to tell them about Jesus. We need to tell them the gospel, this is the only way. We need to tell them that, hey, Jesus is God. He's alive, and he's the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, and no one's going to get that by you serving them a meal. They need to hear it. And so we hear this through the lens of, yes, guys, we, we love like Jesus loved. We, we serve the poor. We give to the poor because Jesus did all that. We help the oppressed. We seek to, to live the beneficent good of our city because Jesus did that. And Luke has been hammering this. But hear this, guys. As we love and we care for people, we need to open up our mouth and tell them why. We really do. And as we give and we serve and we help people, it's just like, hey, I want you to know that this isn't because I'm a great person, but anything good in me is just a reflection of Jesus. And so you need to know this. And this hit me. There's a guy in my connection group And his his family is in India. Not popular to be a Christian there. All right. Persecution is something you're not just being made fun of, you're you're being beat up and killed. Okay? And so his dad, being a godly man and a Christian, is seeking to show people Jesus. And there's a lot of people that are just afflicted in the city that are homeless, they live on the streets. And so what they would do, he told me this story, is, is they would go and they would hand out blankets. And he would they would go to a poor person while they were sleeping. I think this is what he said. They would go, and while they were sleeping, they would cover him up with a blanket and then kind of like, hey, wake up. This blanket is from Jesus. I love you because he loves you. And they would proclaim the gospel truth as they're providing for their physical needs. This is a beautiful picture of what we need to be doing. And and I spend any amount of time on this because, guys, it's it's a fear of mine and, and I think a a real one that I think that the church can be so filled with, with fearful people that don't say anything about Jesus because they don't want it to be awkward, right? And they just say, and I've, there's, I've been around guys in our church that have told me, you know, that's just not my thing. I'll leave that to you. I'll love people and I'll give to people. Just Tell me the people who I can write a check to. That's kind of my thing. And I'll just hope that they'll come to know Jesus because of that. They won't. That's our job. We're his witnesses. We go and we proclaim the truth, and it's not just our job, guys, but we get great joy from this, leading people to know Jesus. I mean, I hope, I literally pray for all of you that you get to lead people to Jesus. It's the greatest joy of seeing somebody cross from death to life because you proclaim the gospel, and you show the love of God, and then you open your mouth and say, it's not you, it's Jesus. I mean, if you haven't experienced this, I literally am praying for you every day that you would find that. And that God would use you because this ignites something in you that you cannot contain. He says, you've got to open your mouth. And he says in verse 47 that we should preach the gospel. And he says, preach repentance and forgiveness. And really what he's saying is repentance meaning like you need to change the way that you think about yourself and about your sin. That you are way more jacked up than you know. But you are simultaneously way more loved than you can even fathom. And that there's forgiveness for all of that. He says, proclaim it. And this is how we're gonna end Luke's gospel, guys, in our study. Gospel people become mission people, witnesses, empowered by the Spirit of God. And it's time for for the church, for our church, to not just walk with Jesus for personal salvation and, and satisfaction, but for the salvation of all those around us whom God loves. Because think about it, guys. You would not be here as a Christian if someone didn't open their mouth and tell you the good news of Jesus. We gotta do it. Jesus has empowered us to continue what he started. And we're gonna see this next fall as we get into Acts. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, you're gonna be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and you're gonna be my witnesses in all the world. Guys, God wrote a book, Jesus is alive and that changes everything. And that's really all we have here at DOXA, all right? We're, we've got one message that we play on repeat. We're like a one hit wonder, okay? And we play it loud and we play it unashamed. That's all we got, it's Jesus. He is alive and we see it through every page of the Bible. I mean, guys, this is why people are drawn to Jesus, even if they don't believe it, I sat in the Avengers movie the other night. I'm not going to give the spoiler alert, okay? But people were crying at the end of it, like weeping. This girl next to me, I was like, What is wrong? You know, but she's feeling it because what is the storyline of that movie? That there's evil that came into the world and kills a bunch of people, but through one man's righteous act. There's salvation. It's the gospel story, and we love it because it's what we're made for. It's Jesus. And we proclaim this, guys, and start proclaiming this in your family. Do it around your kitchen table to your kids, guys, your wives, your neighborhood, your workplace, and just watch it spill out through the nations. Let's pray. God, I thank you for for this journey that we've been on in Luke and how you've used it to to change me and change so many people in this church. And and I know that you're not done, that you're still working. And so, Holy Spirit, I I pray that that you would help us to, to become gospel people that would ultimately become mission people, that we would proclaim the good news of Jesus, that he is alive so that others would find life. And so God, I just ask that you would just give us a vision for our life. Help us to overcome that fear of opening our mouths for the sake of somebody else knowing you, just like somebody did for us.